Stop punishing yourself with bland, chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Politics Guys with your hosts, Dave Carson and Michael Baranowski. Welcome to the Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My co-host this week, as always, is Cleveland area attorney and sometime Republican strategist Jay Carson. You might have noticed that this week's show posted a day early. That's because I'm doing something I almost never do, taking an honest-to-goodness vacation. You know, after the long and very tumultuous presidential campaign and the crazy pace of news during the Trump administration, I'm more than a little bit burned out. So I've decided to shut myself off from news and email and social media for most of this coming week and find a sunny beach and a good book and just try to recharge a bit. But we will still have our regularly scheduled episodes of the show this coming week. Uh, this Wednesday, you'll hear a great interview I did with CrowdPack CEO and Fox News commentator Steve Hilton. And on next Sunday's show, Jay will be taking over and he will be joined by a special guest host, uh, a big uh, proponent of a lot of the things that Jay doesn't like, I'm sure. Uh, there we go. Yeah, so <laughs> it, it'll, be, it'll be Jay and Ken, and I think it's going to be a great show. I'm really looking forward to it. All right, uh, now on to this week's show. We start with President Trump's first address to a joint session of Congress. In the speech, which was widely viewed as his most optimistic and presidential to date, the president asked for Congress's help in fixing health care, the tax code, and the country's infrastructure. He also called for a merit-based immigration system in which those who have the most to offer the country in terms of education and skills would receive precedence to enter the country. Now, in one of the most remarked upon lines of the speech, President Trump said, The time for small thinking is over. The time for trivial fights is behind us. From now on, America will be empowered by our aspirations, not burdened by our fears. Wow. So, Jay, what did you think about the speech? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's... Rhetorically sounds good. What did you think? Uh, terrific, best speech ever. Uh, not actually. I mean, I'm 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 not being facetious. Um, the uh, uh, as as Trump goes, this was I think probably his his best speech. His most now again, you can say the bars maybe set a little low. Most statesmanlike uh, speech, uh, and and I I thought it uh, I thought it was was good, and I, I think it was well received. Um, I think it's worth noting. Uh, he stuck to the teleprompter the whole time, um, which in in past uh, Trump addresses, there have been times we've said, look, when he does stick to the teleprompter, uh, it comes across a lot better because you don't get that sort of scattered uh, going down these weird blind alleys of, of, you know, where he gets sort of distracted. <laughs> but so, yeah, so no, I, I think it was I think it was good. And I think uh, uh, he came across as uh 
you know, dare I say moderate uh, in terms of a lot of things that he's out there proposing. It's stuff that is, you know, a lot of Republicans are not, you know, old school Republicans would not be crazy about. I mean, paid family leave. Uh, that's that's uh, sort of a new entitlement that uh, I would say conservatives are typically not big on creating new entitlements. Uh, he softened on the immigration uh, stance. And, and I, you know, he's he's sort of presenting sort of a reasonable way and saying, hey, come come uh, work with me. And I think it was a, a good political move because now it's sort of there's the Democrats to – uh, either keep up the you know hashtag resistance uh, or or actually try to you know get on board to do something and there's going to be pressure on some Democrats to to work with uh, the president. Well, you know it's interesting. I tend to largely agree with you. A lot of my friends on the left uh, made uh, kind of similar analogies, saying that well, you know this over they called it overpraising of the speech, and uh, a couple of folks said you know it's kind of like when you take your toddler out and, and you consider it a victory when he poops himself, but at least he doesn't throw a screaming fit and throw food at the at the waiter. Um, that might have been a little bit harsh, but uh, it was really better than that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, there are a couple things that. I agree with in the speech. I, we've talked about this before. I, I do feel that he has a point about more countries needing to pay their fair share in terms of NATO. Now he, you know, he has uh, gone back on the whole NATO is obsolete thing, thankfully. But but you know, only there are only I believe four other countries aside from the U.S. and NATO who pay their, I believe it's two percent of uh, of GNP or you know two percent uh, that's that's recommended by the organization. And so I think there's a, you know, there's a point there. I don't know if the money's actually pouring in now, as he says, but I think that's important. And on immigration, we should also point out that shortly before his address, he met with news acres and suggested to them that he might be open to an immigration compromise that might actually give undocumented immigrants a, a path to some sort of a formal, maybe even legal status. Now, who, who knows if that's actually going to happen? But that's, you know, that that's something it could be another, you know, Donald Trump head fake sort of thing or telling people what they want to hear. But that at least is something that's reasonably encouraging, I think. Well, this also, I mean, it gives you the sense that this is the Donald Trump that we people were sort of thinking was out there, that uh, he's going to come in and, and make sort of extreme negotiating positions and lay out, <clears throat> put down the marker uh, pretty far out. And then uh, when it comes comes down to it, he, he'll be willing to to deal. Uh, now, again, that none of that dealings actually happened yet. Uh, but uh, I think he's he's showing that he's he's open to it. And that's, you know, that that's sort of the one one theory of Trump that has been out there for a while is that this is the way he negotiates. He takes extreme positions and then he will back off on them uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, strike some sort of compromise. So it remains to be seen, but. And then he does something like that, which makes people think, Hey, maybe this won't be the disaster that we think it is. And then this morning he puts out a series of, of (laughs) unhinged tweets Suggesting that, not suggesting, downright stating that President Obama has or tapped his uh, Trump Tower phones before the during the campaign, calling it McCarthyism and uh, suggesting that President Obama engaged in illegal activities with absolutely no proof at all. And yeah, it just well, I, I mean, I, I would I would walk that back a little bit. I, I mean, would. Well, for first of all, the 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 tweeting uh, against Obama again seems to be counterproductive it's one of these you know when the story he wants is is out there when he's winning uh um you know there's something that they always 
you know, tell you in law school and in, in, in law practice is that when you're winning, stop talking. Um, you know, and, and I think that somehow he, he just needs to learn that. Uh, but there, there was a report and uh, was reported in the Wall Street Journal that uh, intelligence agencies had been intercepting, uh, uh, you know, investigating uh, Donald Trump uh, during the Obama administration. And, and that's that's a little troubling and details are, are yet to come out. But um, maybe there's something to do with all these ties to Russia. I should hope we'll, he's being we can, investigated. We can talk about because I'm still, you know. But well, you know, the thing story. is, is ties call, to Russia versus, calling, you know. calling your predecessor a bad or sick guy and suggesting he needs to be investigated. This is a guy who is just so, incre- you know, number one, he's so incredibly thin skinned. Number two, he just can't handle, he can't handle any kind of heat. He wants to change the story. So I, I don't, I mean, I think he's, you know, brilliant in terms of doing this. And of course, his followers will believe this without a shred of any kind of real evidence because President Trump pretty clearly doesn't care about evidence. He cares about dominating the news cycle. I mean, it's, it's just, it's disgraceful behavior by a president of the United States. Well, I, I do just want to uh, call you on to some of this stuff that Trump is tweeting about, about uh, being bugged and so forth. Um, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean that they're not out to get you. Uh, the New York Times reported on Thursday that uh, uh, the Obama administration uh, ran an, an intel operation on the Trump campaign. Uh, according to the New York Times, political appointees signed off on surveillance of associates of the Trump campaign, <clears throat> though the nature of the contacts remains unknown, uh, and that these officials uh, spread raw intelligence throughout the government and to foreign counterparts. Well, yeah. I mean, I but, mean, but let me but stop you right there. Yeah, that was a huge story, and I want to talk about that when we get to the Russia thing. Absolutely they did, because there is a ton of incredibly troubling uh, evidence that's coming forth about Trump ties to Russia, and I mean, it gets into that whole Russia. So, so the point being, I mean, Donald Trump is alleging that this is illegal activity very clearly in these tweets, and that is absolutely unsubstantiated, and it's completely, I mean, it's completely wrong to make these kind of wild accusations, especially if you're the President of the United States. Again, a disgraceful, there's, another there's disgraceful performance. New, perform- New York Times no, reporting you're it. You're not though. listening to me, Jay. He's reading it, no. he's reading it in the paper like no, anybody else. No, no, he's not. You're wrong here, because this is illegal investigation. The Obama administration did nothing illegal, and Donald Trump is saying that they did because the, the heat's getting to be a bit much for him, and he cannot handle it. That's what's well, going then, on here. Then there, then there would be, assuming there, there would be warrants for these. Well, yeah, this wasn't, these weren't illegal investigations. Be, well, there was, again, I read that whole article. There was nothing in that article that talked about anything illegal, so I don't know how you're misreading it, but there's no allegations that the Obama administration did anything illegal. The article was about them pushing out intelligence as much as they reasonably, legally could because they were concerned that the Trump administration would try to bury the story, which it sure does seem like the Trump administration is trying to do. Well, he's not trying to bury the story. He just put out a tweet, put out a tweet about He's trying it. to change the story about the focus on oh, this allegedly illegal activity by the by the former president, which is bunk. All right. Does it does it trouble you at all, though, that you have U.S. intelligence services? Again, this is not law enforcement. This is U.S. intelligence uh, investigating the campaign uh, of someone. You have a sitting president authorizing. Uh, the the intelligence communities to investigate the campaign of a political rival, and then taking that that intelligence and providing it to 
other parts of the government and to foreign governments. Absolutely not. I would hope that if there was any kind of alleg- or any kind wow. of evidence, well, let me finish. If there were any sort of evidence of anyone who is the nominee of a major party for president of the United States having contacts with uh, uh, with the in- with top intelligence agents of a of an unfriendly power, I would hope that would be investigated. By God, I think it would be a dereliction of duty to not investigate that sort of thing. Again, we're talking about intelligence agencies of the United States. Well, yes. Now, who's going to investigate it? Like the local cops or something like that? I mean, my God. Well, the FBI, as opposed to the CIA, which is not supposed to uh, operate domestically and spy on Americans. Um, I I think it's – Well, you're making making a kind of wild accusation there. And and let's let's see. I mean, was, was there a FISA warrant? Uh, you know, what's what's going on? So I, we should assume that the Obama administration acted illegally until we have evidence to the contrary, uh, illegal until proven legal. That seems to be President Trump's uh, uh, operating assumption here. And is it yours? Well, well, yeah, it is. It's presumed illegal <laughs> that you bug somebody's telephone until you have a warrant. No, you're 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 missing I mean, yeah, you're, you're you're missing no. the point. You're you're just assuming in the absence of evidence, you're assuming what the Obama administration did was illegal. No, I'm not. Oh, I'm not assuming okay. it's illegal. I'm saying, look, even if it is legal, it's certainly troubling. Not to me. It'd be troubling if they didn't. But again, we're just going to have to right. agree to disagree on this. I think they did absolutely the right thing because this is an administration that seems to be shot through with huge, huge potential conflicts and way, way too many issues involving Russia and uh, incredible lack of transparency. This is this is incredibly troubling, and I I am. Great. I am very thankful that the Obama administration tried to do what they could to get this information out about this very bad guy. Wow. Well, it'll, it'll remain. It'll remain to be seen. I let's 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 see where the, the chips fall here. But uh, I just um, hope that the Obama. I keep I keep hearing a whole lot of people have got a list of Russian contacts, and uh, nobody's seen the list yet. So what? I'm 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 saying there there was years ago there was another guy. Who made sort of the exact same arguments? Oh, you're going to compare uh, and, and this Trump to McCarthy, is, like Trump, President right? Trump? Yes. Oh, please, that's a totally different thing. McCarthy was just throwing out baseless accusations. There's tons of intelligence. There's hard evidence that there was there were connections. This is being investigated by like a number what? of reputable like agencies. Oh, like. Like what? Like, like for instance, the hacking. Like, for instance, uh, multiple reports from okay. many sources high in the government saying that there were there were there were conversations between Trump associates, Trump campaign people, and high Russian officials. That's the sort of like thing who? that we've seen. That's the sort of thing that's being investigated. And no, I don't have specific names right in front of me. But you are totally you are totally wrong in making an analogy nor, between nor this did, and Joseph McCarthy. McCarthy. I mean, that's sort of my point. <sighs> Until we have someone who's wow. going to come forward and say, here is the evidence, here is the transcript, uh, here is uh, the pictures of him meeting, here's a witness who was there who will, who will be named, I, I'm, I'm really troubled that we, we keep having this, you know, there's this innuendo of ties to Russia and, and no one's really – Explain exactly what those those ties were. Well, there are a number of committees that are investigating this, and we're going to find okay. out in short, you know, before too long. All right. 
So All right. let, let's go on. Says the one tied to Russia would be with uh, uh, Attorney General Sessions. Yeah, let, let, let's talk about that. I mean, he. Some people are saying that he perjured himself in his confirmation hearing testimony when he said that he did not have communications with Russians during the presidential campaign. And now we know that's actually untrue. Um, and he, in fact, clarified this that he hadn't had co- contact with Russians in his capacity as a Trump supporter. And then he announced that he would be recusing himself from these Russia investigations after calls were really kind of bipartisan calls uh, for that. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people on the right who called it a big nothing burger. Uh, what do you think, Jay? I think it is a, a big nothing burger, as I sort of made clear a minute ago. That that said, I think he's right to recuse himself uh, just because it, it adds further credibility uh, to the investigation. Uh, there's there's no reason that that uh, he should not recuse himself. Let's put it that way. Uh, and I think he probably should have done so earlier uh, to avoid uh, the Democrats having this little little media moment. Um, but uh, I think it's I think it's the right thing. And I think the investigation will come to nothing. Uh, his his contacts were, uh, you know, he met with the Russian ambassador uh, on a couple occasions, uh, and if you look also at the question he's asked and his response, you know you can make up your own mind uh, what the question is asking for. But uh, I, I don't. There, there's absolutely nothing wrong with him meeting with the Russian ambassador, um, and and I think it's, you know, again the 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 implication that there's there's something um, uh, some dirty dealings going on if you do meet with the Russian ambassador is sort of troubling. It's look, the Russian ambassador's job is to, to be here to meet with uh, American government officials and American government officials meet with ambassadors from many countries. Uh, they meet with many other people. That's basically their job. If you're an elected official, your job isn't so much to sit down and write legislation or to give speeches. It's to meet with people. And that's what they do, uh, uh, you know, constantly. So the idea that he, he had a meeting with the Russian ambassador, um, does does not trouble me in the least. As he indicated, he had a meeting with the uh, Ukrainian ambassador the day before, um, and there were you know staff members present for both. Uh, I I don't I don't see the I mean again if we're getting to the point of you meet with the Russian you know Russian ambassador uh, and therefore that's there is a Russian conspiracy that the Trump uh, campaign is involved in. I, I I think that's 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 really going down the uh, down the rabbit hole. Well, I think it wouldn't be – people wouldn't be so concerned that there weren't all these other things going on. But having said that, I uh, almost entirely agree with you on the on the issue of the specific Jeff Sessions thing. I think he, he exercised poor judgment. He should have realized that given everything that was going on, that it would have been a lot better to say I did not meet with them in my capacity or did not meet with them in my capacity right. as a Trump – so – and he, he said pretty much as much in his uh, – clarification right uh, when, and, when you're in the moment you you and yeah. i both know as people who just uh get on a you know get on an, a, a microphone and talk sometimes stuff does not come out as you would like it uh and and you know sure I, and i i don't so, really think i i disagree with i think jeff sessions is uh going to be and is demonstrating that he's going to be just a, a, a colossal disaster as an attorney general in terms of policies that I am in favor of and opposed to. But 
I do not think that I do probably not probably not a Russian spy. I I would find that incredibly hard to believe. Yes. So I, I don't really think there's a whole lot there on this particular front. And I think that calls for him to resign. Which they, they made me roll my eyes. And I also don't really think that what he did, a lot of people are saying he perjured himself. You know, that's a really tough thing to sort of demonstrate because it, it, it not only has to be false, but the person has to be have demonstrated to have uh, intense, yeah, in, intentionally. Yeah. Lied, and I don't really think that that was the case here. It was uh, it was a mistake. It was a it was a pretty important mistake in light of all other stuff. But that aside, no. Um, Jeff Sessions did the right thing, and while I hate his policies, I think he should remain as Attorney General, which he will. So we we agree on that, you know. Well, they also, I mean, you know, there was another uh, piece, and this is where the media taking this even further. This was actually in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, taking Sessions to task because he supposedly met with the Russian ambassador at an event uh, here at the uh, the RNC convention in Cleveland, uh, and the the left uh, narrative goes, well, he paid for that trip uh, out of campaign funds, uh, so therefore he must have been meeting with the Russian ambassador as a you know right. campaign surrogate, uh, and to me again that's that's just beyond nonsensical. Um, well, you can understand that you can understand the argument here, but but I, if he hadn't paid if he hadn't paid for it that way, then people would argue that he well, of was, course. you know, it, so it was, yeah, you, entire, you get caught it, either it way. Was going to a, a yeah. completely political event, and so it was completely appropriate for him to uh, to pay for it with political funds. Here, 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 here's the thing. I mean, based on what I what I know from having followed Jeff Sessions, you know, career not intently or anything, but over many, many decades, is that while I, I think he is wrong on almost everything, I also think You made that clear. Yeah, I also <laughs> I wanna I wanna point out I also think he's a guy of integrity. You know, he has integrity in his completely wrong beliefs. Um and uh, so yeah, I, I think he's one of the last people I would think would be in any involved in any kind of a Russian conspiracy. That is just not Jeff Sessions. So all right. Well, before we move on to, I'm sure, slightly less contentious issues, maybe, I don't know, uh, we should thank our new supporters for this week. First, right. we have uh, Teresa. Sergey Viskalev. <laughs> 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 yes, exactly. Now, first is Teresa, who made a generous donation through PayPal. Teresa, thank you very much. We really appreciate you, that. Uh, next, we have Rebecca from Winthrop, Maine, uh, who's another one of our much appreciated Patreon monthly sustaining supporters. Uh, Rebecca writes, I found your show before the election and was very happy to hear you decided to keep going afterwards. I love the diversity of your show and the two points of view. While we may not always agree, it's refreshing to have some calm heads during this irrational time. When you guys switched hosts with Pantsuit Politics, I was thrilled to add another great two-point view podcast to my repertoire, so thanks for being open to such a great idea. I'm greatly appreciative of your cool, calm, and collected approach. Well, we weren't exactly cool, calm, and collected a few minutes ago, but I think for the most part, I got a little upset, yeah. Um, I think you did too, but anyway, uh, because I... Don't jump to conclusions and opinions so quickly when hearing the media blow up about the latest Trump spectacle. I take it in and wait for my podcast to update. So thank you for making this election cycle a touch bearable, and hopefully you'll be around for the next four years to calm my nerves with a rational point of view. Keep up the great work, guys. It's going to be a long four years. Yes. Oh, well, thank you. And, and we very much appreciate it. And we, we, uh, we hope to keep going as, as long as we are able. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, next we have... 
Mindy, our newest Patreon monthly supporter, uh, who in fact became a supporter just minutes before we went on air here. Um, Mindy, wow. yeah, uh, right on, right to the minute. Anyway, Mindy writes, I first wanted to say that I really enjoy listening to your show every week. When it's released, I always bump it to the top of my podcast queue. It's great to hear your discussion on both sides of the spectrum and your incredibly civil way of doing so. I'm writing to put in a vote for a podcast from you dedicated to the school system. I believe Jay has mentioned wanting to do one about schools, and I would be very interested in hearing it. After moving from Cheyenne, Wyoming, with one public school option zoned per our address and two tuition-based private schools, we moved to Wake County, North Carolina, where the possibilities seem almost endless. Wake has charters, magnets, traditional calendar, and year-round public school options, and, of course, tuition-based private schools. I would love to hear a more in-depth conversation about the ins and outs of these types of schools. I think that's a great idea, and I know you do too, Jay. Yeah. Yeah, I do. And we are, we're working on it. I'm working on it. Um, trying to figure out who we want to, you know, bring in to do a panel and sort of figure out some of our tech issues for doing, uh, uh, a panel. It just gets, it gets tricky. The more, the more people we try to have on the line, sort of the trickier it gets. But, um, yes, that is something that is in the works. Yeah, absolutely. All right. And if you're interested in supporting the show financially, you can do what Teresa, Rebecca, and Mindy did this last week. Go to politicsguides.com and click on either the Patreon or PayPal donation links you'll see there. You know, every donation helps. Doesn't really matter what the amount is. We appreciate it all. And it's, of course, especially helpful for us to have those continuing monthly supporters, which you can easily set up in Patreon. Finally, as always, it would be a big help if you could spread the word about the show by sharing and retweeting our new show posts on Facebook and Twitter and leaving reviews and ratings of the show on iTunes. All right. And, you know, one of the things, of course, that, that listeners talk about all the time, Jay, is, is our sort of respectful and calm thing. And, you know, I want to point out that while certainly on the Russia issue and the, the spying or however you want to look at it, while you and I pretty clearly have a, a strong agreement, I don't think you're a poopy head or anything like that. And I, you know, and I, 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 appreciate res- that. I respect your view. And sometimes I probably, you're right. Of the two of us, I get a little more heated, but, but I know your views coming from a place of, of, of intellectual and, and ethical integrity. And I, I do not question your motives on that. I just think you happen to be wrong on that particular issue. All right. And my my point on the Russian investigation is let's wait till the evidence is in. I think that's you know, and and I think we can both so, agree on that, and and that's a good yep. point. I'm I'm glad you brought that up, Jay, because as you know, uh, a good investigation of something this big and this complex takes time, and that's something that really goes against our sort of we want it now kind of news cycle, and it may be many, many months before we actually get anything that's a lot more solid. And I think that's a really good point that you bring up. So thank you. All right, moving on. You know, I think you'll agree, Jay, that if you really want to understand what a president's priorities are, about the best place to look is his budget. Yep. You know, and President Trump isn't scheduled to release a full budget blueprint until March 16th, which is a few weeks from now. But this week we did learn of some of the broad outlines, specifically his plan to increase military spending by $54 billion, paying for it through cuts to non-military programs. Now, singled out for major reductions were the State Department, whose budget he wants to reduce by 37 percent. The Environmental Protection Agency slated for a 24% cut. 
the NOAA or the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, that's the main government agency responsible for research on climate change. They're scheduled for a 17% cut. And the perennial Republican whipping boy, the IRS, which would be slashed by 14%. So, Jay, uh, what do you make of this budget outline? I, I think it is, uh, again, Trump's negotiating, opening negotiating positions. Um, I would say historically, uh, even under Republican administrations, uh, even uh, when you had uh, all Republicans in, in all branches, uh, budgets don't shrink, uh, or when they do, not by much. Um, some agencies get cut more than others, but the uh, the march of government tends to go on, which is which is one of these reasons that sort of spawned the Tea Party. Um, so I, I don't think the the these size cuts are going to actually come to come to fruition, uh, even with a Republican House and a Republican Senate. Um, that said, it it sends the message that, um, as as someone else once famously said, the era of big government's over. Um, that that he's looking to to trim places and he's looking to boost in others and and doing that by increasing the military and cutting back on some of these other other agencies is pretty much what you'd expect from most any Republican president, uh, even if he wasn't Donald Trump. Yeah, and actually, yeah. the the fourteen percent cut to the IRS that's really that's really fairly small. Considering well, well, that, yeah, yes know, and you, no. The IRS has been cut. Tons over the last. I mean, this is and this has been, you know, under the Obama administration as well. The IRS has taken huge hits over the last, you know, number of years, basically, and and so that's, you know, that's one. They, they're basically been bled dry, and so what's going to happen is service is going to get even worse. There are going to be fewer audits, fewer checks. And while people might say, well, that sounds like a wonderful idea, uh, you know, number one, no one likes worse service. And number two, and this is something that a number of folks have pointed out. In fact, even even uh, someone in, in President Trump's own administration has suggested that, uh, you know, IRS cuts actually might end up hurting us because if you invest more money, in compliance and that sort of thing, it actually makes money for you. There's one widely uh, cited stat that says for every $1 you spend on the IRS, you get back $4, and that's without increasing taxes on anyone. It's just basically being better able to enforce the tax laws that exist. And, and to me, that seems like that could be potentially a uh, the part of a kind of a bipartisan consensus here, just hear me out here, but arguing that, okay, let's maybe cut tax rates, reform the tax code, but let's make sure that the tax code we have is enforced fully and fairly. Got to spend money to make money. Well, you know, you do. I mean, you can't, you can't, it'd it'd be like, it'd be like having all kinds of laws against various crimes and then having two cops. You know, I mean, so that's what I'm talking about. That seems to me to be to be reasonable. But I get why the IRS get cuts because everyone also, hates there's them. There's also a point to be made when you have fewer laws, you need fewer cops uh, to the extent that the tax code can be uh, simplified. Uh, rates can be flattened. Uh, loop, you know, fewer, fewer loopholes. And, and again, yeah. this has been sort of the Republican mantra for a while is is do something uh, where we we sort of flatten and simplify, yeah. uh, so that there's 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 less need to look into compliance. I mean, sort of if you know the sort of I guess the the 
the Ur version of this was sort of like the, the Steve Forbes flat tax from, you know, way back when, um, 96, I suppose. Uh, but, but that's the, the idea of it is that yeah. if you make the tax easier, then you, you need less resources to enforce it. Yeah. Well, I, and I certainly think there's something to be said for that. And I also wanted to point out, I didn't have the name in front of me right away, but the, the Trump administration person who suggested that these, these cuts are these, uh, adding on to the IRS actually pays for itself. Plus wasn't just some flunky it was the it was the treasury secretary uh, secretary Mnuchin so this is not some low level kind of guy and but again this is kind of a political move uh, no one uh, no one gets hurt by the electorate by cutting the IRS let's talk about some of these other cuts though sure. uh, the state department 37% cut uh, now that's been that's not going to happen nothing even close to that's going to happen i think that's a good thing and you would agree right yeah i think so uh, and again if you look at uh, if you look at the total budget expenditures, even though even if you're talking about that, a 30, that's, there's not that much savings, so to speak, in the in the, the State Department uh, compared to, you know, for example, the the EPA or or the military or or other yeah. organizations that have sort of a bigger administrative footprint. Yeah, and I mean, even uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said 37 percent cut is not going to happen. Right now, yeah. those other cuts, the EPA cut, totally predictable, right? Uh, not a yeah. surprise. Uh, same thing. I mean, the the, NO, the NOAA cut is kind of a, a newer thing that just came out, but again, that's hardly surprising, and I think rightfully so. A lot of people on the left are upset about that, but again, this is exactly the sort of thing I would expect from pretty much any Republican president. Don't need a weatherman to see which way the wind blows. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Got to put that one in there anyway. So we will obviously hear a lot more about this in the days to come and after that budget proposal is, is released, assuming it's released on time on the 16th of March. All right, moving on. You know, one story we haven't gotten into this year, and it's been a big story really uh, for, for a while into the new year, is the disturbing rise in vandalism and threats directed against American Jews. Uh, this activity is reportedly way up, and the latest incidents being a series of threats to Jewish community centers across the country, or 31 last Monday alone. And, mm-hmm. you know, adding fuel to the fire is a remark that President Trump reportedly made while meeting with state attorneys general in which he allegedly suggested that the threats could be what what are called a false flag operation, meaning that they may be the work of pro-Jewish people who want to make it seem that anti-Semitism is on the rise now that Donald Trump is president. And in addition to this, a high-level Trump ally, uh, Anthony Scaramucci, came under fire for a tweet in which he said that it wasn't clear who called in the threats, but then he immediately noted in the same tweet that Democrats had attempted to incite violence at Trump rallies. So, Jay, what do you make of all this? Well, at first, in, in whatever the, the Trump discussion was, there was there's a lot of allegedly's in there. And I go back to, again, if there's someone who wants to say something on the record, then they should say that. Um you know, Trump made a, a pretty, you know, I, I guess let's, let's go back to the, sort of the Trump and anti-Semitism because this is something that, you know, in a little bit troubles me uh, because I, I don't I don't think Trump is an anti-Semite at all. I mean, if, if you look at, I mean, his, his family, his son-in-law, uh, who he is, is named as really sort of one of his, his primary advisors uh, is Jewish. Uh, his, his relationship uh, and his commitment to Israel – uh, so I, I don't I don't see that, but I I do see the left sort of the you know they're trying to 
build in the, the Hitler thing. Uh, you know, Trump put his foot in this back. I think I don't know if he had been elected elected yet, or maybe just not president. Uh, there was a statement he made regarding Holocaust Remembrance Day, where he mentioned sort of all these these groups that had been adversely affected by the Holocaust, but didn't specifically name uh, the Jewish people. Which you know, yeah. uh, which would seem to be a, a pretty Jeez. big omission. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, now, again, if that was just Trump being Trump or, or Trump being inarticulate, I, I that's my sense is probably what it was. I, I don't think it was a deliberate slight. Um, in in some of these uh, events, he was asked about this at a, a press conference, and he fully condemned anti-Semitism and said this is un-American. It's uh, it's it you know it won't stand all that sort of thing. Uh, which of course then he was blasted in the papers for like you know Trump late to the party on on uh, you know being against uh, hate. Um, you know I, I I think if you look and there was the, they've caught one guy who was one of these people yep. uh, who would. Threatened a, a guy named by the name of Juan Thompson, who it appears again we don't have all the facts, but didn't really have a whole lot to do with anti-Semitism. He was trying to frame his ex-girlfriend uh, and, and get her in trouble for making the threats. Um, and you know, so I, I think this is this is just a yeah. L- l- let me it, say it remains I, to be seen. I'm, I, I mean, I, what I'm saying is is I think as these things come to invest become investigated uh is it possible you're going to find some real serious anti-semites out there yeah it's possible uh but i think it's more just random random goofballs like this this uh juan thompson character well i and i I largely agree with you a couple of points i guess i'll make is number one what what a lot of folks on on the left are concerned about is that they feel that uh the sort of things that donald trump and his uh associates and 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 people on his team say sort of make send a message that it's okay to uh to engage in this sort of thing i I don't i understand where they're coming from i don't know that i fully agree with that but but i get that now a second thing is that it seems to me that what president trump and his associates and people's administration don't fully appreciate yet is that The rules are different when you're the president of the United States or a close ally or a top administration official. You can't just pop off. You can't just randomly speculate. And this is something that, you know, experienced politicians know, but that President Trump and the the whole bunch of financial industry people he surrounded himself with don't seem to quite grasp yet. And so, I mean, when I heard about these remarks, I thought, okay, President Trump was talking to these attorneys general and he just, you know, and, and. He's, it's not like he's wrong in saying that, well, you know, there have been false flag operations and I'm sure he was just kind of just – There was – and actually there was there was one I'm thinking just uh, about a year or so but, ago, two years ago here but, in Ohio but that's at, not at the college point. where it was but, – but, right, right. but that's not the point. The point is is that you do not say that sort of thing if you're the president of the United States because what happens is even if you – even if you think it might be possible, by saying it, the media is almost certainly going to pick it up and it's going to take the focus away from the important stuff that you want to get done. So you're shooting yourself in the foot from engaging in this sort of thing. And again, something that experienced politicians get, but that President Trump has yet to learn. The sort of strategies and tactics in the media that work really well to get you elected, that work really well maybe if you're a real estate tycoon with a reality show – don't work very well if you want to get through a, a, a big, complex legislative agenda. 
Well, again, keep in mind though, that the remarks you're talking about right now are are still alleged remarks that are being reported secondhand by an anonymous source. No, no, these weren't anonymous. Um, there were two of these attorneys general who said that they, uh, in fact, heard these remarks. Okay. So, I mean, uh, now the, the White House has disputed this, I believe, but uh, they're not they're not anonymous. Okay. Well, okay, that's that's better then, at least. But but the larger um, point, right? You you agree with the larger point that I'm making here? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, that that you when you're president, you have to be careful what you say, uh, because people will assign a value to that that they don't assign uh, to a reality game show host. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and and again, it's not like I'm not saying that the president uh, that that the president has less freedom of speech or something like that. I'm just thinking from a a strategic standpoint is that if you want to get stuff done, you can't you can't say this, and then because the focus is going to be drawn off the important stuff you want to do for for this kind of thing. That's all. Well, you know the other the other way the way to handle it, and I, I don't know again to the extent he tried to do this or didn't do this. But when you meet with the attorney general group, uh, you issue your statement, and and you have your press people out there giving your statement, and the statement goes something along the lines of. Anti-Semitism is is uh, horribly un-American. Uh, I'm meeting with our law enforcement uh, uh, officials, and uh, we want this we want this stopped. And I you know want to make sure that our law enforcement has the resources to deal with this. Yeah. Uh, and then if someone says he made another offhand remark in the conference about there you know these can be false flag um, uh, operations, uh, um, then that's sort of muted. Because right. I, I could very much see that coming up in a conversation where where you're talking about, hey, look, here's we've investigated this. And a lot of these turn out to be, again, not a a it's a weird, a strange phrasing, but a, a legitimate anti-Semite. Uh, but but uh, it's it's just either someone seeking attention or, uh, again, kind of random goofball uh, like this this Thompson character. Oh, goofball might not be. I know what you mean, but some 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 people might object to that. Uh, object well, to that let, word, let me, but me, I know me, I know okay, what you me, mean by let that. Let me rephrase it then, so yeah. that people don't object. Uh, it's it, not not someone who is part of some sort of organized hate right. group uh, seeking to create a hate crime okay. uh, and yeah. uh, to intimidate others. And, um, and I knew you meant that, but I just wanted to make that clarification yeah. so people wouldn't think that you just thought this was kind of like a a funny goof kind of thing. You mean no, some no, no. disturbed, hateful person working on his or her own. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. Or, or again, this guy who who apparently was doing it to frame his ex girlfriend. Yeah. Again, another disturbed, hateful person, <laughs> just for another reason. Disturbed. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. You know, I think we have time for a little bit of listener mail. If you're up for it, Jay. I'm up for it. Okay. Let's do it. First, we have Blue Winter Rose, who writes in part, at least, it was a, a long and interesting email. I'm thankful that I discovered your podcast a few months ago, as it is helpful to hear two people with differing views sharing their perspectives. I see this sort of willingness to hear the other side is the only hope we have to heal this country. Thank you for modeling this type of discourse. I'm wondering if you guys have thought about hosting a public forum to model this type of discussion in a larger sense. Currently, town halls tend to take on whatever tone the host is modeling. Therefore, the recent ones have gotten rather contentious. I have a feeling you guys could create a forum where both sides really get to share points of view in a respectful manner. If you consider such a step, I could see that as a major contribution to our country. 
Wow. wow, yeah, that's an interesting. That would that would be something. We could, we could go on tour. That would be that would be amazing. When I, it's an interesting sell idea. Out, I don't we could know. sell out stadiums across the country, or at least we could sell out small clubs. I don't know, but in any case, that's, <laughs> that's a neat idea, and I really liked it. Um, I like that. No, yeah. I, I do. And, and, that would be that would be fun to do sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, also she mentioned on another note. I was thankful to hear a recent listener email challenging Jay's comments about the women's march. As someone who is generally pro-life and who was greatly inspired by the Women's March, I was taken aback by his remarks and I'm glad for the additional discussion. Women, men, and children came to the march for so many reasons. Yes, some were there for reproductive rights. Yes, some were protesting the president, but many were there to support women, period. The March speakers discussed issues related to domestic violence and rape, human trafficking, equal rights for a number of issues, and so on. As a person who was highly passionate about women's issues, it was so encouraging seeing so many men out there. The attendees probably did skew left. Okay, they definitely did. But across the world, <laughs> yeah, there was diverse representation of gender, race, age, religious affiliation, sexual orientation, and various stances on many issues. They were all united for one main issue, supporting women. It was such an incredibly positive event and something I hope continues to inspire and engage people. Me too. All right. Next, we have Jessica who wrote in about our recent comments on abortion rights. She says, I, and I really wanted to highlight parts of her really great email. She says, Mike. Which we really didn't talk that much about abortion we rights talk, so much. It yeah, was that's just, true. The, yeah. And I think she kind of brings this up in her funding. thing. Yeah. yeah, good point. She says, Mike, I thoroughly appreciated how you refused to demonize pro-lifers, and your reasoning was spot on. I totally agree with Jay on this one, so I don't feel the need to comment on anything he said. I would like to throw in another perspective on abortion, however, because I feel like this topic is too frequently distinguished as a religious issue. Science says that a baby in the womb is a baby. It's an individual with a distinct genetic makeup that is different from everyone else on earth. I've watched abortion videos and studied how abortions are performed, and it is quite literally an evil procedure. It is unequivocally murder, case closed. Not because the baby has a soul given by God, it does, but because it violently ends human life. This is morally wrong. I urge anyone, looking at you, Mike, who is pro-abortion to watch and learn <laughs> how abortion is actually performed and then to ask themselves honestly if they can morally justify it. A few of the logical fallacies pro-abortion people like to pretend that abortion is difficult and pain a painful decision for any woman who chooses abortion. The reality is that people choose abortion because of convenience. The majority of people getting abortions don't just get one abortion in their life, and abortion is used as a means of birth control. A pro-abortion culture leads to gender side, and that happens frequently in places like China. Parents abort their babies because they are girls. Is this wrong? A pro-abortion culture leads to wrongful birth suits, and a recent law in the UK allows families to sue doctors for allowing their child to be born with developmental disabilities. A pro-abortion culture leads to people aborting children just because they have Down syndrome. Is it wrong to deny the personhood of an individual simply because they have mental disabilities? This is just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to abortion. If you can be honest about the science behind abortion and still support it, I would suggest some deep introspection. The biggest thing I'd like for you to take away from this, Mike, is that abortion isn't a dichotomy of religious-non-religious. -religious. Logic and science makes the case against abortion far better than any religious argument. A religious argument makes it easy to be pro-abortion. A logical and scientific argument makes it far more difficult. And again, this was just part of a longer email, but but clearly Jessica is very passionate about this issue and this sort of taking well, well me to task. Jessica. Yeah, and and 
Well, I guess I would say, you know, this is the kind of thing where I think, Jay, for, for us to really get into this, we'd have to devote a, a separate show to this issue. And I know there are a lot of listeners who are passionate about it. And, and I will say yeah, that yeah. I will say that I take issue, I disagree with a number of the points that Jessica makes. And I think people on both sides can, can present evidence uh, making different logical cases. But I think what most reasonable people do agree on, in fact, is that abortion should be rare. No one likes abortions. I don't know. Reasonable person thinks it's a good idea that there are a whole bunch of abortions. I don't think that there are many reasonable people who would say that abortion should be a matter of convenience. I, I don't think that it is as much as Jessica seems to indicate, but I am absolutely not pro-abortion in the sense that I think it should just be this kind of thing where, oh, well, I'm pregnant. I should just get an abortion. I mean, I, I, I do believe that there are a lot of very tough issues and that reasonable, ethical, moral people can reach very different conclusions about ultimately whether or not this is something that is morally permissible. This is a hard issue. This is not an easy issue for me, and I don't mean at all to be cavalier about it. But in the end, where I come down is uh, is is in the you know the rights of the rights of the the woman, the reproductive rights, and that's that's again, it's not an easy issue and uh, very fraught, and a lot of people are understandably very uh, emotionally invested in it, and I, and I get that. And I do hope that at some point in the near future, we can devote a lot more time to this issue that matters so very much to uh, so many people. Yeah, I, I think that's that was well, that was good, good, good on Jessica and, and uh, good on you, Mike. And I, I, I mean, I, although I think there are some on the left who have sort of created something of a, a sacrament uh, out of abortion. Um, but I really think we, we yeah, we should uh, we'll do a show on that, too, with the education thing. And. Uh, and the tour. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of stuff on our to-do to list. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Next is Kevin who writes, I just wanted to comment and say, Jay, you do have some fans out there on the show. Oh, thank you. Kevin. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, he said, Mike, someone should give you some flack. So I thought I would try. <laughs> I'm getting it. I'm getting a lot this, this week. I right before my vacation. I want to give it to me. Anyway, you were fairly harsh on the Russian hacking of the United States election process and rightfully so. Though I thought a large aspect was overlooked with respect to the United States' history of doing the same thing. If you're going to be critical of a nation manipulating something such as an election or more generally the political landscape, then you must understand that the United States has a long history of doing the same thing. A couple of examples, the Bay of Pigs invasion, the protection of Ahmed Karzai in Afghanistan by special forces, even in Colombia during the late 80s and early 90s drug wars. It may not have been as large-scale or modern as hacking and the connotation that comes with it, but the U.S. is no Mother Teresa when it comes to this. You know, Kevin, We're you're not so innocent. You're absolutely right. <laughs> as, as, there are there are disgraceful, absolutely disgraceful uh, instances in our past where we've done even more than just hacking, where we've actually gone in and taken out people and 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 uh, cooperated in staging coups and so forth. And I, and I think. I think that is entirely wrong and that we should be ashamed of having done that. Um, and that's why I, I feel uh, – so in a sense, we, you're right. But that, of course, doesn't excuse what the Russians uh, are doing and not just to us but all over the place. So uh, – but but yes, uh, you know, and, and you obviously know that, Kevin. You say rightfully so. I was hard on them. But yes, you're absolutely right. The United States has done this in the past and it is disgraceful when any country does it. 
Well, I, I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily even say disgraceful. Um, there are some things. First of all, the the you know Kevin's right. The Russians have a long history of doing this, as as do we, of trying to bend the politics of of other countries. That's what and that's what nation states do. And, and I think yeah, to a certain extent, you know, that's some fine. Extent, you got to approach this with a bit of realism. We had things like. Uh, for example, uh, uh, you know, Radio Free Europe, um, uh, uh, you know, broadcast to Cuba, which were, were clearly, you know, intended to uh, uh, push our our agenda. Sure. Um, but there's a have, line, right? Have, I mean, there's a line between yeah. by pushing your agenda and engaging in, you know, uh, sabotage, espionage, in, fake in news. Illegal. Sort of yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. All right, finally this week, one more listener mail, Andrew from New York City, who writes with the following question. Do you think coastal urbanites live in a bubble? Conservatives often accuse coastal liberals of living in a bubble. Having grown up in Missouri and then moved to New York City, I think the opposite is true. City life requires me to interact with people of different religions, races, sexualities, occupations, incomes, and ideologies on a daily basis. The newsstands have a diverse set of offerings, and I regularly encounter advocates and protesters on the street for all sorts of movements. This is where most terrorism happens. It's where government and its effects are more concentrated, and it's where the homeless, Wall Street exec- executives, immigrants, racists, Black Lives Matter activists, cops, and Midwesterners regularly share the same subway car. It's very hard to remain in one's bubble. To me, it's not that Midwestern lifestyle is different than urban lifestyle. It's that Midwestern lifestyle is a fraction of urban lifestyle. Cities have Christians, conservatives, and non-college educated white working class too, but it's not the only thing we have. Conservatives suggest that if we urbanites stepped out of our comfort zones into the Midwest, we'd understand why Trump won the election. Perhaps if the Trump voters stepped into the city, they'd understand why he shouldn't have ever, ever gotten out of the primaries. Well, you know... I think certainly Andrew has a point that cities are more diverse places than uh, than the countryside, and then you know cities like New York City is probably the, the greatest example in, in this country that we have are incredibly diverse. And I think there's. Well, been, I would say, I, 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 although I I would differ. I mean, they're certainly diverse uh, ethnically, religiously, um, uh, racially, and all that. Uh, I I'm not sure that they're so uh, diverse ideologically. Well, I you know I think you can certainly find a lot of you know the Wall Street Journal is, is headquartered there in in New York City and you know Fox News sure. and so forth. So I, I think certainly, but but I, I see your point. Uh, but I think that there's no question in my mind that cities are more diverse places in a whole bunch of ways. And I also believe that there's a lot of research showing that exposures to diversity is a good thing for people in a lot of ways. But also, and and I'll, it seems to me that what a lot of conservatives are saying or have said, is that while diversity may be a good thing, there are some conservatives who feel that too much diversity without some degree of what they might call assimilation or acculturation to um, uh, sort of uh, traditional American norms and beliefs can tear a country apart. And that's obviously something that Donald Trump supporters are concerned about. Steve Bannon has taken that as kind of his crusade, essentially. And uh, I I think he goes way, way, way too far in it. But their argument is that a country needs to stand for something and believe in something. And so this is another one of these issues where I don't think it's a black or white thing. Yeah, my friends on the left and myself, we tend to you know believe that more diversity is a good thing, but we don't think that, you know, there's no point in having unity and so forth. And so uh, 
I do tend to side with Andrew on this, and I think that it's very helpful for people from small towns and, and these sort of communities to experience city life and to be exposed, to be you know pushed up against a lot of different people. Let me just give you a personal example. I mean, I grew up in a large city, Cleveland, but the community I grew up in wasn't a very diverse community, uh, uh, you know, uh, racially. So when I when I joined the Marine Corps, I was exposed to a lot more racial diversity, and it made a big difference for the better in terms of my outlook and how I saw issues of race and so forth. That was one of the most positive experiences of my lifetime, and it's an experience I, I wish that more people could have. Jay, any thoughts? Yeah, no, I, I, I was looking at Andrew's question less about uh, diversity when you're – you know, when we talk about bubbles, uh, I think – what a lot of the folks on on the right mean uh, is is not a a bubble that involves race or or gender or that sort of thing, but it, it's sort of a, a cultural ideological bubble. Um, not so much that everyone looks the same or doesn't look the same, but they tend to think the same. Um, and I think that's that's the the trouble. I mean, you can have people from all sorts of uh, diverse ethnic, religious, uh, gender, sexual identity backgrounds. Uh, but if they're all thinking exactly the same, um, uh, I, I, you're, you're still missing, uh, what's going on in this other, other part of the country. Um, so I, I do think there is, there is a, a bubble factor that goes on. Um, again, I'll, I'll cite to, to Charles Murray, uh, who was, uh, as, as evidence of sort of a bubble was shouted down at uh, a university recently. I can, I'll try to find the link um, <clears throat> because they didn't want to hear about the bubbles, uh, which indicates that they're pretty bubbled. Um, so, so I, I, I do think there's, there's that when you, when you, it's less about where you live and been more about uh, what your background is, your education, who you, who you talk to, who you uh, work with, what kind of lifestyle you know, you live that puts you in a bubble rather than, um, uh, you know, the, the, the color or the gender identity of the people around you. Okay. All right. I see, I see your point. I see your point. I, I, I think, well, I think that in general, it's, uh, city life gives people more opportunities to step out of their bubble. Certainly in modern technologically focused life, uh, all of us to a certain extent, I think exist in some bubbles. And so to that extent, I, I definitely agree with you. All right. Well, that, that this, uh, this about brings us up to the end of our kind of mega long episode here. Uh, everyone, thanks so much for listening. If you have any thoughts, comments, criticisms, or questions for Ask the Politics Guys, we would love to hear from you. Our email is mail at politicsguys.com. Our Facebook page where we post throughout the week is facebook.com slash politicsguys page. We're also on Twitter at politicsguys. This week, we might, the posting's probably going to be a lot less because, again, I'm taking my taking my uh, vacation. So it's going to be a little light this week, but we'll pick right back up and next I, week. And I don't, I don't post as, as often as I'd like just because the, the private sector is a harsh mistress. Yeah, Jay. Jay uh, is. So, uh, so I just. Jay's much less of a social media guy uh, than I am. It's probably better for his sanity, I would expect. So, anyway, uh, we'd really appreciate it if you could subscribe to the show, leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever podcast service you use, and of course, sharing and retweeting our new show posts really does help out a lot. 
If you'd like to support the show financially, well, you know the deal. We have those Patreon or PayPal links on the website. And if you enjoy the show, check out the Politics Guys weekly newsletter. Now, it's taking a bit of a hiatus while I'm on vacation, but it'll be back. And you can take a look at previous newsletters, sign up to have it delivered to your email inbox on our website, politicsguys.com. The Politics Guys will be back next Sunday. We hope you'll join us.